in the way of being ascending church, you know that. Uh, man, we live for these kind of moments. Uh, that's why we'll never build multi-million dollar buildings and have buses and all the finer things because we have made a radical decision to put our stuff where it counts, and that is getting the gospel to those who currently do not have access to it today. Thank you so much. Uh, it, I, I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat, no telling what God's going to do. This has been a, an amazing journey uh, as missionaries for the past, I don't know, coming up on, I can't do the math, 16, 17 years. Uh, you guys roped me back into the pastorate. When Heather and I left going to the mission field in 2007 and stepped out of the pastorate, we didn't think we would ever be back in one again. But you guys have really been able to marry both passions in my life. Uh, my passions together are preaching God's Word and yet taking God's Word to those who do not have access to it in the uttermost parts of the earth. And that can only be combined, those two can only be combined in ascending church. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we will certainly keep you apprised. You're going to be involved in this. By the way, uh, how many of you remember one of my Brazilian students named Jordan Andes who was with us back in July? I uh, talked with him this week. He, he wanted me to inform you that he has arrived on the ground in Peru. So he is now engaging some folk there. Uh, Jordan Andes will probably be part of the team when we do make a shift to another continent. Uh, we will take him with us. And, uh, uh, and another thing, I, I'm about to break all the rules of, of, of being a traditional church pastor. If I was a traditional church pastor, I could not tell you what I'm about to tell you right now. Next Sunday, Heather and I are going to be out because we are uh, the keynote speakers at a rather significant missions conference in Mobile. So next weekend, I will preach three times and Heather one time. So as a sending church, just know that we know that you are sending us. So we are representing you. Link up missions at this missions conference. So pray for us because we want to knock some folk off the bubble and get them off the dead center as it relates to becoming more sending uh, in their church and engaging folk who do not have access to the gospel. But the reason I can tell you that is because we are a sending church. You see, that breaks the rules. If we're a traditional church, the pastor can't say that because here's what folk would hear. Oh, the pastor's not here next Sunday, so? So I don't have to be here that next Sunday. You don't think that way. You don't come for me anyhow, right? So it doesn't make any difference. By the way, one of my good friends, y'all remember him, Bill Jessup. You remember Bill Jessup? Bill Jessup will be here preaching uh, in my place. Thank you for Dr. John Wilson covering for us last Sunday. Uh, you never go hungry for the Word when you have to listen to John Wilson, do you? Thank you, Dr. John. Appreciate that so much. Now, let's get down to business. Uh, I've been chomping at the bits all morning. Uh, I was ready to preach about 9 o'clock because last Sunday I didn't. So uh, I almost preempted Sunday school and everything else. Just said, I can't wait any longer. Let's do this thing. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 is where we are today. You know we started walking through the book of 1 Corinthians several weeks ago. We're going to continue to do that. Verse 6 is where I want to pick up today. So here we go. If you've got your copy of God's Word, follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse number 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is, a, who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, you know, as we approach a text as complex and complicated as this, I always want to give you some clues because I don't want to just preach this text. I want to try to break it down where you can apply these principles in your own personal time and arrive at some good solid conclusions from whatever text it is you happen to be attacking. So let's look at this text in a very precursory way before we dive into it and let's notice what, what's hot here. What is the CIT? What's the central idea of this text? What is, what is the heart of this text? And notice Paul puts his cards on the table there in verse number 6 right off the bat when he says, Yet we do speak, among, we do speak wisdom among those who are, are mature. Now you may want to take note of that because this is a theme that he's going to carry right on in to chapter number 3. Notice what he says in verse number 1 of chapter 3. And I also, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual man. And he talks about how they are not mature yet. So the, the heart of this passage has to do with spiritual maturity. And we want to maintain that. Now, how do we arrive at some good conclusions about spiritual maturity? Well, this text again is very complex, but here's part of the key. The key to this passage is being able to trace out this uh, complex web of pronouns that Paul scatters and sprinkles all through this text. Now you know what a pronoun is. If not, take your pen. Man, I hope you bring a pen because I'm a great fan of marking in the Bible. That's the way to keep you on focus through a text like this. Let's look at some of these pronouns. Check it out with me. Uh, Man, they're just uh, very prolific in this passage. Look in verse number 6. Yet we do. You see that? Very first set. Verse number 7. But we speak. Uh, Verse number 7. To our glory. Verse number 8. If they. Again verse number 8. If uh, 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 they would not have. Uh, Verse number 9. There's a pronoun in the end of it. Those who love him. Verse number 10. For to us. Uh, Verse number 11. In him. Verse number 12, we have. Verse number 12, that we may. Verse number 13, we also. Uh, Verse number 14, he cannot. Verse number 15, he. Verse number 15, he. And in verse number 16, we have. Now, that's a good many pronouns, is it not? And if we're going to make sense of this text, we have got to give some substance and some definitions to these pronouns. If not, we're going to end up being all over the place. And this text is really a text about contrast. Paul is contrasting a lot of things. He's carrying this theme of wisdom on in from chapter 1, so he's contrasting worldly wisdom or wisdom of this age with the mystery or with the wisdom of God. He's also contrasting here in this passage those who are, he uses the word uh, sukikos and pneumatikos, that is those who are soulish and those who are spiritual. How many of you have ever, ever heard the word soulish before? Uh, and you've heard somebody described as a soulish believer. It's really not a compliment. It means that somebody who operates on a level far beneath their dignity and far beneath what they are equipped and qualified to operate. It would be kind of like, uh, uh, you know, if there was someone who was trained to, to fly uh, F-22s and yet he did not do that at all. He spent all of his time operating a riding lawnmower. You know, that's operating way beneath your level of preparation. Now, notice what Paul does here is he puts all of these pronouns together because not only does he string them together, but even more complexing is, here's what you've got to unravel. All of these we's through here, and it operates the same in the English language, We've got to make a decision and define each one of these we's as to whether it is an inclusive we or whether it is an exclusive we. 
Now, I'm speaking to you as mature, so please don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Make me think at least you're following me. Uh Uh-huh. Are y'all following me? Because I want to speak to you as mature. I'm taking you back to fifth grade English grammar. How many of you studied inclusive and exclusive wheeze in fifth grade grammar? All right, if not, you're going to study them right here at Grace Church. Here's what an inclusive we is. An inclusive we is when Paul uses the word we, and he's referring not only to himself and his missionary band, but he's referring to all of those to whom he's speaking, and he's gathering them all up in this one pond known as we. We, we. Now, when it's an exclusive we, Paul's saying we, he's not talking about everybody at all. He's talking about himself as the apostle and maybe Timothy and Barnabas or Silas, whoever's with him when he says we. That is an exclusive we. It means you're not included. It's just this missionary band that's included. It would be the same today if I said something like this. If I said we are a sending church, is that an inclusive we or an exclusive we? It's inclusive. Why? Because you automatically understand when I say that that I'm talking about who? All of us. Exactly right. Now, if I said to you, for example, as I just said, next weekend we are the keynote speakers at a missions conference. Is that an inclusive we or is that an exclusive we? Why? Because not everybody is doing it, but it's just a certain number who will be doing that. Now look at there. You've already learned something today, have you not? Now, here's what you've got to do when you walk through a text that has a proliferation of pronouns, especially we and us and ours, that's what you've got to decide. Who is this we? Is it inclusive, referring only to Paul and his missionary band? Or is Paul opening his arms and putting we around the entire Corinthian church? And where you come down on these we's, whether they're inclusive or exclusive, is going to determine where you land on this passage. And look, this is not subjunctive. We've got to use good principles of grammar, interpretation, and hermeneutics to arrive at those. So let's walk through it now because here's what I want to talk to you about today. Having laid all that groundwork and trying to make this muddy water a little bit clearer, I want to speak to you on the benefits of spiritual maturity. You see, that's our goal for you at Grace Church. As Dr. John said, we want you to know and we want you to grow and we want you to go. That's spiritually mature people. So here's the question. And you know what? That's God's goal for you in salvation as well. God did not justify you. He did not save you in order for you to end up being a baby all your life. But you know, churches are filled with people who are 20 and 30 year old babies. I mean, they've been saved for for a long time, but they're still infants spiritually, and I, I really don't understand that. But, you know, the analogy would hold. I mean, if we compare spiritual with physical, it would be like if we had someone who was a 22 year old student at the Baptist College of Florida, but come in here today wearing... Uh, uh, diapers and sucking a pacifier. We say, my goodness, something is wrong here. But we seem to accept as normal somebody who says, yes, I'm a born-again believer, but they can't even find the book of Habakkuk in their Bible. And they say they've been born again for 20 or 25 or 30 years. So listen, the goal is spiritual maturity. So here's what I want you to be asking yourself as you enter into this inner dialogue while we walk through this text. Am I spiritually mature? And if the Lord allows, this week it's the benefits of being spiritually mature. Next time we come in chapter number 3, He's going to identify some of the barriers to spiritual maturity. So if you're not spiritually mature, why not? What is stopping you from growing? What's stopping you from reaching the goal? What's stopping you from becoming a mature believer? So here we go. Notice what this text tells us about the benefits of being spiritually mature. Number one, the Bible tells us this. The spiritually mature understand God's mysterious plan. Did you see what Paul said? Paul said, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are spiritually mature. Why? Because spiritually mature people are able to ingest it. They're able to digest it. They are well qualified to understand it. They grab onto it and it causes them to grow even more. So Paul says, 
we do speak wisdom among the mature. So the first characteristic or the first benefit of being spiritually mature, and by the way, I got a buddy that I preach at his church every now and then, and he quit having me. And he told me, he said, Brother, I just can't have you come to our church anymore. I said, why not? He said, because you preach way over our people's heads. And I said, son, that's not my goal at all. I want to break it down and I want to put it on the lower shelf so even the most spiritually mature people can grab it and eat it and grow up. I said, by the way, how long have you been at that church? He said, I've been here 17 years. I said, and you're telling me your church is still babies? Shame on you. If they can't understand me, it's not their fault, it's your fault. Hey, one of the benefits of being spiritually mature is you can handle and you understand the mysterious plan of God. And no, notice, it has nothing to do with intellect. Watch me. I, I get tired of this worn out argument by church folk that say, you know, I, I, I just think my fifth grader needs to be in children's church because they can't understand the message in big church. You've just said more about what you believe about the Spirit of God's ability to communicate than you have about your child's ability to comprehend. Because spiritual truth is not dependent primarily upon your physical faculties like your brain. But it's dependent upon the Spirit of God and how spiritually mature we are. So here we go. Notice what it is that Paul says about the mysterious plan of God. He, he, he lays out several things here when he says one of the benefits of the spiritual mature is they understand God's mysterious plan, verses 6 through 11. The first thing he says about this plan in verse number 7 is that God's plan is a predestined plan. I know. I know. Look, sometimes you just use that word predestined and it's like you cussed in the pulpit. I mean, it really is. Uh, look at me. Spiritually immature people hate that word. They totally misconstrue it. And, and, and you want to get in a fight with somebody, you just bring up the word predestined. or These are biblical words. That's why I wanted to use it. It's what Paul says. Paul says God's plan is a predestined plan. Check out with me. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery... The hidden, wisdom of, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages. Friend, let me tell you. This word predestined, you know what it really means? It means that God is in control. It means that God is one who is moving history and moving the circumstances of our lives to where He wants them to be. And I was speaking several years ago at a church and the worship leader stood up and publicly challenged me and he said, Brother, you better cool it on this sovereignty of God stuff because I want you to know that God is not always in control. Sometimes man is in control. Son, he was ignorant enough to stand up and say that in a Baptist church. And I thought the people were going to applaud him. And my response to that, after picking my jaw up off of the floor that somebody could spout out heresy like that and it'd be... I mean, my gosh, what an affront to God! And it'd be embraced. My response was, then brother, you need to resign as the worship leader because if your God's not in control, He's not worthy of your worship. Huh? Whoever is in control. You need to find whatever man who is in control and you need to be worshiping Him because He's more powerful than God. Hey, God, if you take... God's ability to orchestrate predestined things, then you take part of His Godhood away from Him. And He's no longer God. All it means is this. Before the foundation of the world, God is able to want some things, and in the course of history, God is big enough and powerful enough to make those things happen. Can I ask you a simple question? Is there anything that God wants that He's not big enough to make happen? Not one thing. So He did. Now what does this word mean? Now let's cool it down a little bit because right here He's talking about God predestined this plan. He's not talking about people here. He's talking about this plan. The gospel is not an afterthought of God. You see, God's ability to predestine, here's what it does. It makes God proactive rather than reactive. 
And so many people want to make God in our image and have God reacting on the basis of what we do. But friends, that's not God at all. God is not reactive. God is proactive. And He predestined this plan. What plan? We're going to unfold it as we walk on through this package. But I want you to know this passage. But I want you to know that God's plan isn't an afterthought. It isn't an accident. It isn't in response to anything man did. God predestined this mysterious plan of the gospel long before a star ever twinkled in a night sky anywhere. He already had it planned. And brothers, if God predestined something before the ages, just mark it down. It's going to happen in time. It's going to. There is no possibility... There's no possibility that something that God has predestined, He has said in His sovereign nature is going to happen. There's no possibility that it's not going to happen. Listen to me. God is not handcuffed by man. He is not. No matter what man does, God is not handcuffed. And if He set it in motion, He said it's going to happen before the foundation of the world, then you can just mark it down it is going to play out in the course of time. It's going to happen. If not, then hear me. He's not God. He's not. So, this plan is a predestined plan. But notice something else about it. Now remember, boy, Paul wanted to test some Corinthians right off the bat, didn't he? And see how mature they were by using some of these politically, theologically charged words right off the bat. Not only is God's plan a predestined plan, but verse number 7... Oh, wait a minute. Let me go back to that. I'm not through. Something just hit me. Uh, One of my smart Ph.D. professor friends said this one time. He says, you know, people get all in an uproar about this word predestined in the Bible. But they'll read novels this thick all the time. And it's the same principle, because stop and think about it. You sit down and you read a good novel that's about this thick. The author has these characters in this novel all over the place. And if you read that novel, you look and think, man, these folk are moving and doing whatever they want to, but they're really not. You know why? They are doing what the author had predetermined before he ever wrote one line how that book was going to end. You talk to the author and he can tell you how it's going to end before the book is published. Why? Because he's the one that scripted it out. Am I right? And if you just, as a reader, when you come to that book, you look at it and you think, hmm, let's just see how all this plays out. The author already had it worked out. And can I say this to you? Life is just like that. God's got it in control. He's not surprised by anything that comes along. He knows what He has destined for you and He is going to, by the fact that He's a sovereign God, going to move you along that course because He's God. You know, a lot of times we think we have more to do with it than we really do. But it's more about God's sovereignty, His working behind the scene, His orchestrating your life to make you think you've got a lot to do with it But God's really the one who's working it all out. Now check this out. Notice what else this scripture tells us about God's plan. Not only is it a predestined plan, but it's a purposeful plan. Look what he says in verse number 7. He says, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to what purpose? To our glory. Why in the world would you fight against that? Why? You know know what destiny God has for you in this mysterious plan of the gospel? It's to your... Look, it's not just for your good. It's for your glory. You see, the gospel is restoring what Adam and Eve lost for us in the Garden of Eden. God created them with His own hands from the dust of the ground. I bet they were glorious creatures. You hear me? They were of the highest intellect. They were probably... uh, They were probably exemplary specimens because God fashioned them. Hey, they didn't even need to wear clothes. They were clothed in the glory of God. Now this mysterious plan 
that God has predestined to be revealed on this planet, i.e. the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through that plan that you are going to achieve glory. Now what's amazing here is that everybody's trying to achieve glory in a different way. As a matter of fact, he talks about the rulers of this age. He said, for if the rulers of this age would have understood it, they would not have crucified who? The Lord of glory. Do you see? There's your connection textually. How is it that you and I are, 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 are restored and how do we get to that goal that God has for us of glory? It's through the plan and the person of Jesus Christ. That's where God is leading you. And Paul's going to talk here in a little while in this very book about us being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So hear me. Glory is not achieved through, through, power, through the power of a political platform. Glory is not achieved by being an MVP in the NFL. Glory is not achieved by being a, a rock star. Glory for human beings is achieved one way. And that's through the purposeful plan of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's your destiny. God has your glory in mind. Because God is glorified when His people walk in dignity, clothed in the glory that He has for them. Now check this out. Let's run on through or I'm going to have to cut this thing off like a salami again. Not only is God's plan a predestined plan and a purposeful plan, but verse number 9 tells us it's a perplexing plan. You know why it's so perplexing? Because it can't be deciphered and it can't be discerned with our physical faculties. Notice what Paul says. Look, look, look what he says. Things which I have not seen. Look, you're not going to see this with your physical eye. You're not. It's perplexing. It's a head scratcher. How is it that God can take somebody who's on skid row and through the purposeful plan of the gospel completely transform their life, turn them around and cause them to be a dignified, glorious human being exhibiting the image of God in whom they are made? How does that happen? Well, it's a perplexing plan. Look, eye hasn't seen it, ear hasn't heard it, neither has it entered into the heart of man. It is a real head-scratcher. Now you know how you can tell if you're spiritually mature? If you are an enigma to those who used to know you. How in the world did that transformation take place in their life? Because they can't understand it. Because a natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, because they're foolishness unto him. But that's how perplexing this plan is i got to run. Notice, not only is it a perplexing plan, but it's also a prepared plan. Look at the word that Paul uses right here in this, in this verse. He says, Neither has it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared. 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 Notice, it's the past perfect tense. God already has your future laid out for you, and it's so great you can't even fathom it. You can't even get your mind around it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above, all that we're able to ask or expect. Listen, your mind, your brain, there is not enough capacity in your cranial cavity to understand and comprehend everything that God has already Prepared for you. My goodness, listen to me. The last people that we ought to pity are those who die in Jesus Christ. Because son, they step into a reality that cannot be described with human words and in the human vocabulary. And even if it could, the human mind couldn't comprehend it. My goodness, do you know what God has you destined for? It's a place that's already prepared. The only thing you've got to do is move in it. My goodness, what is glory going to be like when we step into it? Check out number next. I've got to run on through it. Not only is it a prepared place, but it is a promised place. Now what I mean by that is promised to certain people. This is not a blank check written to everybody 
who claims to know Christ. It's not. It's written to those who are spiritually mature. And here's one more characteristic of the spiritually mature. They are passionate about God. Check this out. Look with me in verse number 9. All that God has prepared, and here's who it's addressed to. Here's who this promise is addressed to. It's to those who are casual in their walk with God. Huh? It's to those who prayed a prayer 30 years ago in vacation Bible school, but have done nothing to pursue a living relationship with Jesus Christ since then. Is that who it's promised to? Now listen, I'm sick of going to funerals and watching some boneheaded preacher preach somebody into heaven who hadn't done anything for the gospel their entire life. Huh? That's not who the promise is given to. The promise is given to those who love God. Now can I just be as bold to ask you, am I spiritually mature? Am I passionate about God? Is He the top priority in my life? Or is there something that I'm more passionate about than God? And if there's something that you're more passionate about than God, and we're going to describe that in just a minute, then that's an idol. And you have something in your life that is of greater value and priority and passion than God Himself. But Paul says, no, this promise is addressed to those who love God as are a majority of the great promises in the Bible. Check it out. I want you to see this. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse number 12. Here you go. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who, say it with me, love him. Check this out. Listen to James chapter 2 verse number 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which God has promised to those who love Him? So you see, here's what Paul's saying about spiritually mature people. He's saying spiritually mature people are passionate about God. They're passionate about God. You know, here's... Here's something I love about Grace Church. Man, we've got a nucleus of people here that I believe genuinely love God. And you don't have to worry about them being all over the place. You don't have to worry about them being inconsistent. You don't have to worry about them being boneheaded. Why? Because they are driven by a passion for God that outweighs and outstrips everything else in life. To love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Paul talks about in Romans chapter number 5. Hope does not disappoint because God has poured out the Holy Spirit in our heart who has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Listen, love for God is not something that you can naturally do. It's something that takes place when the Spirit of God is in control of our life. He's naturally going to lead us to love God. Check this out. i got to run on. Not only is it a promised plan, but it is a perceived plan. Or I should say it is a perceivable plan. Even though your mind, your brain is not large enough, doesn't have the capacity to fully comprehend everything that God has prepared for those who love them, who love Him, yet these things are yet knowable. I mean, what good would they be if we couldn't at least have a glimpse? And notice what Paul says in verse number 10. For to us, inclusive or exclusive? Say it again, Sandra. It is inclusive. Because Paul is not saying, well, God has revealed those things to me and Timothy and Silas. God reveals those to us. This is a part of the pool of knowledge which God gives to all of His people. So yes, it's, a, it's an inclusive us here. Now, notice what he says. Check, check out verse number 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Reveal what? 
reveal these things which I can't see and ear hasn't heard and things which haven't entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, but yet God has revealed them. Now check it out. This word right here does not mean that God gave new revelation. It's not what it means. Revelation is closed. God is not revealing to you on the same level that He reveals to the authors of Scripture. If He is, then what He's saying to you is equally as authoritative, or what He's revealing to you is equally as authoritative as what He said to Paul and Isaiah and Jeremiah. That's not what He's saying. And you see, that's where cults get started, by the way is when somebody claims that God is revealing to them some special knowledge that He's not given to anybody else. So the word that Paul uses here doesn't mean new revelation. As a matter of fact, it's the same word that Paul uses and that, 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 that John uses as the title of the last book of the Bible, and that is the apocalypse. And it means an unveiling or an uncovering. So what does God do through the Spirit? Here's what He does. For spiritually mature people... God pulls the scales off of your eyes and He allows you to see this deep truth that I can't discern, that ear can't hear, and can't enter into the heart of man. God pulls back the veil. He takes away the covering and He allows you to look into His Word and perceive those things that are unknowable any other way. My goodness. Look at this plan that God has. It's a mysterious plan. And those who are spiritually mature understand God's mysterious plan. But number next, notice what else Paul says about some benefits of being spiritually mature. He says that the spiritually mature enjoy major privileges. Major privileges. And they do. What are some of those privileges? Well, they're marked out in verses 12 through 16. Notice again as we track through this and we see some of the things that Paul talks about. Look at number, look in verse number 12. He says, Now we have received inclusive we, exclusive we. Huh? Inclusive. He's not again just talking about him and his missionary team. He's talking about every believer. Every believer has received the Spirit of God. Paul says in Romans chapter number 8, he says, For if you have not received the Spirit of Christ, then you do not belong to Him. Let me just say very plainly, the New Testament does not teach nor endorse anything like a spiritless salvation. So those who teach that you can be saved today but not receive the Spirit until a later day, friend, that's just blatant anti-biblical and heresy. Salvation is when you are born again, immediately the Spirit of God invades your life and you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. So Paul talks about things throughout his epistle. He talks about things like, like this. He talks about things like maintaining our relationship with the Spirit. Not about seeking the Spirit. or not, None of that stuff. Not, not about seeking a second blessing, but about maintaining a relationship. So here's the first privilege of being spiritually mature. Number one, a healthy personal relationship with the Spirit of God. A healthy personal relationship. Because you can have the Spirit and not have a healthy relationship with Him. And can I just be honest? Man, that's the reason so many believers are miserable. If the Holy Spirit is in, indeed indwells us, the Holy Spirit is indeed God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, and we have grieved Him or quenched Him. What do you think your demeanor is going to look like? You think you're going to be the happiest, most go-lucky, joyful person on the planet? No, let me tell you what you're going to be. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be unfulfilled. You're going to be depressed. All of those things because the Spirit of God within you, you don't have a healthy relationship with Him, and He is quenched. That's just like throwing water on a fire. It's the same word. He is grieving. That's the word in the Scripture that's used for, for people who are wailing at a funeral service. That's not a healthy relationship with the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. So Paul talks about things like this. He talks about walking with the Spirit. 
He talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. He talks about living in the Spirit. All of those things which foster a healthy relationship between you and God who is now living inside of you because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross through this mysterious plan. Here we go. The spiritually mature enjoy privileges, major privileges. Number one, a healthy personal relationship with the Spirit of God. Number two, verse number 12, look at this. Here you go, uh, here you go, Cliff. Where's the purpose clause in this verse? Find it for me. There you are. Look at that. So that, so that, so that. Why have you received the Spirit of God? Paul says, here's the purpose. So that we, an inclusive we, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So what is the second major benefit this text outlines for the spiritually mature? Here it is. They participate in the blessings of God. Participate. You know, the word that Paul uses here is not just to have intellectual assent, but to know these things by experience. Hey, you can hear somebody talk about the blessings of God all day. But you really don't know them until you experience them yourself. And you see, that's what the Spirit of God does. He lavishes upon you the blessings of God to those who love God and to those who have a healthy relationship with Him where He is free to be Himself within your life and do what it is that His purpose is, which is that you may know the things freely given to you by God. Hey, here's the difference. Here's the difference. A lot of people profess something, but they possess nothing. Are you following me? A lot of folk profess to be believers, but they really don't possess any of the things which the New Testament says comes along with that. It's very possible to know about something, but not to know something like Paul talks about right here. It's the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life for you to know because you participate, you encounter, you experience the blessings of God. One of the major privileges of being spiritually mature. Number next, notice what else Paul says. He says, which things we also speak. Again, another inclusive we. These are the things we speak about. So what is the next privilege of the spiritually mature? They proclaim the wisdom of God. Proclaim the wisdom of God. Let me just say it like this. You can tell if somebody's spiritually mature by listening to them talk. Can you not? You really can. And here's the reason why. People who are spiritually mature, remember we said, are passionate about God. The promise is to those who love Him. Now, have you ever got around somebody who was passionate about Gator football? <laughs> How many of you think that's not a blessing? <laughs> you get around somebody who's passionate about Gator football, what are you going to hear about? You're going to hear about Gator football. That's exactly right. And you know why that is? Because people naturally talk about their passion. You ever been around grandparents who just had a new grandbaby? What are they going to talk about? You're going to hear about Maggie. You're going to hear about that grandbaby. Why? Because they're passionate about it. So what, do, what is the subject of the conversation of spiritually mature people if you get around them long enough? You better believe it. And you see, that's what Paul's saying here. He says, which things we proclaim. He's simply talking about this. Spiritually mature people talk about their passion, and their passion is God Himself. And they talk about these mysterious things. That's the subject matter of their conversation. Check out number next. i got to hurry. Not only do they proclaim the wisdom of God but they make proper assessments based on the Word of God. Now check this out. Look at this, look at this verse. Verse number 15. He who is spiritual appraises all things. Now, now, what that means is this person has the capacity 
to make spiritual evaluations on all levels. Look what else it says. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. Now there's a lot of folk that take license with this text and they say, hey, because I'm more spiritual than you, you have no right judging me. So you can't, you, you, don't even, you, you, you can't even offer your opinion. Just sit down and shut up. What I say is right and what you say don't matter. And that is not what Paul is saying at all. He's simply saying that spiritual people, and let me put in there, spiritually mature people can make decisions. They can make evaluations. They can make assessments. Why? Because, son, you have God living within you. And He pulls the covering off of our eyes and He lets us understand what He's revealed in His Word. Did you hear what Alicia Baker read this morning in that text? The Holy Spirit doesn't come and speak about Himself. He speaks and He calls to remembrance what Jesus has already said. So the Spirit of God is going to come in, pull the veil off of, off of our eyes, uncover the meaning of the Word of God, and that gives us, by the way, he's the very author of God's Word. And that's what he does. He illumines our mind to understand God's Word. He's the author of it. He has full right to do that. And because of that, spiritually mature people make spiritually based decisions using the Word of God. Now, do you know somebody who claims to be a believer, but they're always making boneheaded decisions? I'm not going to say they're not a believer, but I'm going to say they're not a spiritually mature believer. Because the Spirit of God doesn't lead you to make boneheaded mistakes. Because God's Word is a sure foundation. And if we're, not, if we're only making decisions based on our emotions, based on our finances based on what our eye can see and what our ear can hear and what we can feel, then friend, we are neglecting the greatest resource that's ever been known to man in decision making. And He's available to all of us. But the spiritually mature have learned to walk with Him, listen to Him, even when it doesn't make sense because sometimes it's a mysterious plan. That's simply what that word mystery means. Who would have ever thought that God was going to fix this thing by this plan that sounds preposterous? Going to send His Son to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life on this planet, to be rejected by religious leaders, to be hung on a cross, buried in a tomb for three days, and then rise again to glory to ascend to the right hand of the... Who would have ever thought God was going to fix this thing like that? But friends, He did. And it wasn't reaction to what man had done. It was the predetermined, predestined plan before the ages. Check it out, and I'm done. Not only do spiritually mature people... Oh, and check this out. I've got to say this about verse number 15. Yet He Himself is appraised by no one. You've got to follow this now. Because if not, what you're going to say is that you don't have the right to appraise me. And friend, you do. <laughs> you do. You do. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the natural man. Because the natural man cannot evaluate you. If you are a spiritually mature person who's walking in a healthy relationship with the Spirit of God, let me tell you what your lost friends are going to do. They're going to look at you and they're going to go, I just don't understand that dude. I can't understand that girl because they don't have the spiritual equipment to know what you know and to make the same evaluations and assessments and judgments that you make. That's what he's talking about. You make good decisions, but other folks can't figure you out. That's the Richie version of verse number 15. Now check this out and I'm done. Spiritual privileges enjoyed by the mature a personal, healthy personal relationship with the Spirit of God. Participate in the blessings of God. Proclaim the wisdom of God. Make proper assessments based on the Word of God. Notice God's involved in every one of these, not by accident. And then finally, but don't check out on me, look at verse number 
16. But we have the mind of Christ. We possess the mind of Christ. Listen, this is only the spiritually mature that he's talking about. And let me see if I can get to the heart of this in just a couple of minutes. Here's what it means to possess the mind of Christ. Do you know sometimes high-profile leaders, they will have a press agent. They will have somebody who can speak in their stead. There's somebody who does interviews for them. And you know why they can do that? Because they have spent so much time with the person that they're representing until they feel like they have that person's mind on whatever issue you bring up. That's why presidents have a, a, a spokesperson. That's why uh, celebrities have a press agent. And it's somebody who has spent so much time with them until you ask them any question, what does that person think about this? They can tell you what they think about it. Why? Because they know it. So how is it that you and I have the mind of Christ? In the same way. Because we've spent so much time with Him. we spent so much time in His Word. We've spent so much time talking to Him until we know what He thinks about whatever issue it is that we're facing. Isn't that cool? That's what it means to possess the mind of Christ. What does Jesus think about this? Well, you know if you spend enough time with Him, right? Because you have His mindset. You have His mind. That's why Paul says, let this mind dwell in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So it simply means, I don't have to wonder what Jesus would do. I have His mind on this issue because I've spent so much time with Him in His Word and talking with Him until I know what it is. Hey, the benefits of being spiritually mature. We've only scratched the surface. I highly recommend that you start growing and you have this goal that God has for you that you may grow up and be to the praise of His glory because you're spiritually mature. Hey, are you one of those? Are you passionate about God? Are you on the pathway? Are you making progress? If not, then God's calling you to reevaluate and make a good decision based on His Word and get on the road to spiritual maturity. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the unsearchable riches of your mercy and grace. Thank you, God, that they are so deep 